from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And good Thursday morning again from our virtual Mercy One studios in West Des Moines. We're happy to be with you this morning. Had a couple of changes in our lineup uh, this morning, and uh, uh, we'll we'll get to those as uh, as we introduce our our guest. Gina, how are you this morning? I'm well, Deacon Mike. It's a little chilly here in Iowa. Yeah. I just recently was down in Florida picking up my daughter from school, and uh, the weather is significantly different here. <laughs> I'm sure it is. You know, la- I wanted to answer a question that you asked me last week. Um, you had mentioned something about uh, Trump having appointed something like uh, 300 judges, federal right. judges, well, federal courts. One of our guests had mentioned that um, the, uh, that President Trump had been really proactive in filling all these vacancies and had then um, appointed, oh, what did she say, about a third of the or no, yeah, I appointed 300 ju- federal judges, and I had asked you then when she was off the air, how, what does that, what kind of a percentage does that represent? And my guess was that it was about a third, and so I looked it up for you. There are 870 Article Three judges that the president can appoint, uh, nine in the Supreme Court, 179 for the Courts of Appeals, and 673 district court judges, since he's appointed roughly 300. We were right. It was about a third right now that he has appointed. Okay. Now, those are Article Three judges. Those are the ones that uh, require the Senate confirmation. There are a number of other judges uh, that are appointed by lower courts to hear various things, like, for example, um, um, bankruptcy judges. You know, they're appointed in a different fashion. But of the Article Three judges, he's if, uh, if he's appointed to 300, he has appointed, actually, he's a little over. Uh, a third, but anyway, so that's a lot for one president. That, one that is, and of course, he came term. into office. He came into office, and there were a number of of court vacancies when he came in, which surprised me that uh, that they allowed so many vacancies to exist. But I guess there was a political question uh, in the latter year of the Obama administration as to whether or not they could get any of their judges. Uh, approved if they uh, nominated him because if you remember Merrick Garland who was their nominee for the Supreme Court never brought up for a vote in the Senate and um, I see well that also means that the U.S. Senate's working very hard uh, to approve all those appointments and do the research and study all of the candidates that's one thing that uh, uh, the leader the Republican leader of the Senate has been Proactive. Very, yeah, proactive is the word uh, on, and that's getting the judicial appointments confirmed. And uh, he's been doing that all along, and uh, and, and good for him. Uh, we're getting some judges that, of course, I'm a conservative, so naturally I think that the judges that the president is appointing now uh, are pretty good judges. And it's interesting that he did something 
that we've not seen done before. When he ran for office, he produced a list. And he said, these are the kind of judges that I want. And he's been appointing off that list. And now he's made some additions to the list, you know, as time has gone on. Uh, but pretty much he's, he's appointed according to that list. And that, uh, that list was put together by some of the leading uh, conservative thinkers and, and organizations that helped him put that together. So we're getting some pretty good judges. There'll be a clinker in there once in a while, but there always is. But uh, we hope they're not too bad of a clinker. Yeah, well, it sounds like um, at least religious freedoms have been protected more often uh, recently in the court decisions, and that's important to us. I think so, and I think if you look back on it, um, one of the big reasons why he was elected was because of the courts, especially the Supreme Court. Well, I think a, a large number of people who voted for him didn't particularly like him, but voted for him because of the courts. They didn't want to lose the Supreme Court, and uh, especially the Supreme Court. But all of these judicial appointments are important. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Supreme Court or a district court judge, because when the cases arrive at the Supreme Court, they arrive there shaped largely by how the judges in the lower courts handle them. And so the questions that come to the Supreme Court from these cases uh, are fashioned early in the trial court setting, the district court setting. And it's important to realize that in the United States Supreme Court, when it gets a case, just can't go palm all and decide they're going to rule on everything in, in that case. Uh, there's only certain things that are put before the court. And only those things that are put before the court, basically, are, are, are what they can rule on. So, you know, they, they can't go fishing. They can't go fishing. So those lower courts are very important in how the cases are structured as they get up to the Supreme Court. Very interesting. I, it's amazing to me how the system works and how it can affect each of our lives um, because of some case that started in some district way beyond where we live. I'm thinking uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, uh, a very pro-life district court judge that was hearing a case. Um, we've seen these cases where they want to strike down a law uh, that infringes on abortion opportunities. Sure. And, well, and he knew that he had to do that, that some, you know, the, the law was going to require him to rule in one way or another. But what he did was he allowed the people who were defending the law to bring in all their experts, have all of their briefs, have all of their information there in the court file. So that was available to the reviewing courts because he figured that case may go to the Supreme Court. They had the information there that they could look beyond just the yes or no decision of the court. They could look into those other reasons and it would allow the lawyers who would take that case up to argue from some of those, um, uh, some of those opinions, medical opinions and things like that. So um, those lower courts are very, very important. I know everybody wants to look at uh, what the, the Supreme Court or, uh, people do, but those, those lower courts are very important. Of course, very few cases get to the Supreme Court. A lot of them end up at the courts of appeals, and uh, they become final rulings in those cases. So they're all very important. 
Very interesting. Uh, very you, interesting. Thanks for walking through that with me. Yeah, you have a, a, a prayer for us to begin with? Oh, you know what I do, but give me just a second to bring it up. Oh, that's this fine. It's been quite a little scramble with our guests. and I we, We've had one heck of a morning here. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We have a great show for our, our listeners, and Ooh. I have a prayer to open us up. Okay, there was a point in time where we had no guests, <laughs> and that was just about an hour ago. So, all right. But your prayer helped us get through it. All right, go ahead, Gina. Prayer always helps us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope. And give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about um, some of the uh, cases uh, with the um, in front of the Supreme Court uh, this week. We'll postpone that for a little bit. When we come back out of our break here, we're going to have Dr. Ann Hendershot. We've had her on before. We're going to have her back on. We're going to talk about uh, an article that she just wrote for the American Spectator. We'll be back in a few minutes. Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation to Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq Des Moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. 
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And we're back. And joining us once again is Professor of Sociology at Franciscan University, Dr. Ann Hendershot. Doctor, nice to have you with us again. Great, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you Always were here just a couple months ago, <laughs> and we got a lot of comment on uh, on your uh, uh, your segment and uh, what we talked about then, which was uh, uh, men's playing the girls' sports, if you recall. And uh, That's right. so you have you have. Oh, by the way, have you. Um, is there anything new on that topic other than we have a goofy judge in um, oh, Connecticut now who's not yeah, letting the uh, uh, girls' attorneys refer to the boys as boys? Right. They're not allowed to refer to the transgender girls who are biological boys. They are biological boys. They're not allowed to refer to them as biological boys or boys. They have to refer to them as transgender um, and of course, that's the or heart of the case: <laughs> is that they are male, I know. and uh, and we discussed that before. Maleness uh, has a certain advantage in those track situations over over girls. So yeah, so that's what's going on there. That was the latest now, I guess. But anyway, you've right. uh, taken, I guess, Governor Como to task. You've written an article in the American Spectator dealing with uh, uh, his handling of the. Uh, virus uh, outbreak in New York. Right, yes. Um, and, you know, it's, since I've written that, it was a few days ago, um, I've learned that other, a few other governors have done this. What it is is Governor Cuomo's director of health, with Cuomo's, uh, <laughs> I say he's complicit in this, on March 25th, they proclaimed that um, no one can be denied admission at a nursing home if they have a COVID diagnosis. And so if a nursing home resident is a resident and then goes into the hospital, the nursing home has to take that patient back or has to take the new patient, even though that person is infected with the coronavirus. And it has caused huge problem in the nursing homes in New York. But what I've found out is Pennsylvania's uh, director has done the same thing. The Secretary of Health in Pennsylvania um, did the exact same thing a week on March 18th, a state policy, Secretary of Health, who is herself a transgender female, by the way. <laughs> we have to get I was wondering about that. I saw her. I saw oh, yeah. him or her, whatever. I saw her on TV, and I thought, that's a rather odd-looking person. Yes. Um, but we can't say that. <laughs> no, and, that has nothing and we won't. To do with anything, <laughs> as we know, Deacon, nothing to do with anything. But I just thought, since we were talking about transgender, this is a proud transgender woman who used to be a biological man. Um, I don't know that he had surgery, and that has nothing to do with it. But Pennsylvania has a great In Pennsylvania... Um, I have the data here. I think it's almost 80% of all the deaths in the state of Pennsylvania are in nursing homes because they did the exact Well, the interesting thing. thing about Pennsylvania is that this uh, woman who is the director uh, took her mom out of a nursing home just <laughs> before that, that edict was uh, in place. 
Exactly. Yes, it's 66% of all the deaths uh, from COVID in Pennsylvania are nursing home deaths. And you're secretary of health in the state of Pennsylvania is living in a hotel because the secretary of health in Pennsylvania realized how unsafe it would be to be in one of these nursing homes. But getting back Very to smart. my article about Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew Cuomo refuses to acknowledge this policy. And um, on the American Spectator site, I give a video of him just taken about a week ago where he kind of pretends he didn't know about it. But there are other videos, like in April, where he acknowledges that he knows about it. And I guess he knows enough about it where he has now rescinded it, um, but too little too late. And... uh, he kind of tried to blame the nursing homes themselves, saying that they just wanted the money from these patients, and that's why they took these patients. So Andrew gets a lot of accolades, Governor Andrew Cuomo, for being such a wonderful person. <laughs> but all of us who yeah, are pro-life you know, are so wonderful. When this first, no. when this first, when this first started, I, I'd listen sometimes in the morning to his press conferences, and then I'd listen to... Uh, Trump's in the afternoon, and of course the right. questions that came to them were like night and day. You know, the legitimate oh, questions in the morning, gotcha questions in the afternoon. But uh, uh, Como uh, came across as being so cool and calm and having everything under control, uh, and then right. the story breaks. And as you point out in your article, something like 58% of all the COVID-19 deaths in the state of New York occurred in nursing homes in New York City. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, they were bad, and it, those numbers have changed slightly, of course, as more deaths, but, and the policy's been changed. But, you know, I was like you, Deacon. I was listening to Andrew Cuomo, and I've never been a fan because I'm a pro-life Catholic, of course, um, but I was impressed. He seemed to really care, and he even talked about our vulnerable seniors with such care and concern, and he said he announced this Matilda's law, and I thought, oh, that's so sweet. He's naming the law after his mother. Um, Matilda's law, named for his mother, intended to protect New York's most vulnerable. And um, that's why I titled my, I subtitled my article from Matilda's law to it's not my job, because that's pretty much what he was saying to the nursing homes when they said, hey, we can't handle this. We can't handle all these patients. We're not an ER. We're not an ICU. And he's said to them, that's not my job. And they were wanting more PPE. They didn't have enough masks. They didn't have enough isolation materials. And he said to them, that's not my job. That's your job. So I said, from Matilda's Law to it's not my job. And, you know, he's. I think he's been somewhat disgraced because enough nursing home operators have said that they tried to email him and got form letters back saying how to reuse PPE how to clean your mask, <laughs> um, and it mm-hmm. was so far beyond there. But I hate to just pick on Andrew, even though my article does, because he is complicit when there's so many other. I mean, no, there's not a lot of governors that did this, but Pennsylvania's governors, I mean, Pennsylvania's health secretary, as complicit as Andrew Cuomo. But I doubt that anyone will say anything because, kind of like a protected class because she's a transgendered woman. Um, so you don't really hear too much about this. I guess if you listen to 
most news, you won't hear anything about it. Well, they're blue states. <laughs> is the reason why I think yes. they are. It's interesting, that, uh, hi, good morning, Ann. I, I'm listening oh, to your morning. story, and I read your article, and I have um, some questions about uh, the um, facilities that were created in New York specifically for the overflow, that they had plenty of beds for these nursing home um, residents who were infected, that they could have used those instead. Did you research anything about why those weren't uh, facilitated in this situation? I don't know why they weren't. Um, some have said that it's because Trump sent them, and it's similar to Samaritan's Purse. You know, Samaritan's sure. Purse, um, that ministry, uh, that was not used either. And that was in the middle of Central Park. You know, it could have been used, and all these nursing home patients could have been sent there because it, it was a great facility. So those were three facilities, Javits Center, the Comfort, the U.S. Naval Ship Comfort, um, none of them were used for these nursing home patients. And I'm not sure why, except some would say they were from Trump. I don't know that that's true. Samaritan's Purse wasn't really from Trump. But I think Cuomo just wanted the nursing home people to be kept aside because he knew that elderly people were especially vulnerable. We knew he knew that because that's why he came up with Matilda's Law, for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it's hard for us to, to I can't guess. I, I can only tell you what others have said. I don't necessarily agree with because Trump's entity wouldn't use it. But they were completely underutilized. They were hardly used at all. And Samaritan's Purse, they're trying to get off their property. I think it's probably gone by now because, you know, they don't accept same-sex marriage. So they can't really provide medical care. That's pretty much what yeah. de Blasio Well, and they're, Blasio. and they're being taxed. Yes, they are. The, oh, the, the, the state of New York is all there. these people that Como asked, can you come help us that relocated for a time in New York? The medical personnel, the people that set up right. the Samantha's purse thing, they're all being taxed because under the New York law, uh, whatever money they make while they're in New York is taxable in New York regardless of who's paying for it. So a doctor that's taking a temporary leave to go uh, to New York to help out, who's being still paid by the hospital that he works for in Cincinnati, uh, he's got to pay a New York tax now. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, and that was really, that law was designed to snag celebrities who come and do a play or athletes who come into the city and make huge amounts of money and they want to get their taxes. But these nurses that and risked their lives to work in the ICU. They came from Chicago and Iowa and everywhere. Um, they have to pay income tax now, so they'll have to file in the state of New York their income tax in addition to their federal. They'll have to pay state income tax, which seems so wrong. Another thing that I wrote about in the article about mm-hmm. New York is that black and Hispanic were overwhelmingly um, victims of COVID in these nursing homes. So where the nursing homes had the most deaths, 80, were those like in the Franklin Center in Queens, 80% of the residents are residents of color, and they suffered 45 deaths out of 315. And at King's Harbor in the Bronx, that's even worse, 83% of the residents are black or Hispanic, and there were 45 virus-related deaths. So 
you would think that the media would, would want to look at this carefully. They're, they usually worry, especially about our minority population, the people who are historically discriminated against or oppressed, and nobody's paying any attention to that. So I thought this was really important to say. You know, he, yeah. he was always saying how much he cares about the black and Hispanic residents of his state. But if you look at the demographics of death rates, they reveal that New York City's nursing homes with the highest percentages of African-American Latinos were also the nursing homes with the highest death rates. That seems unfair, honestly. It does, yeah. I'm glad, often and I'm glad that you pointed that out. Yeah. Now, in Iowa, they're being very careful with their... I know you're out, based out of Iowa. Um, right. Nursing homes, in fact... There's, you know, you know the problem in the Tyson plant, but a couple of nursing right. home workers are married to Tyson plant workers, and they, yes. uh, Gates, this person who's in charge of nursing homes in the state, has said that anybody who is living with a person with COVID either needs to live, not come to work, or live at the facility so there wouldn't be cross-contamination, and that's brilliant to do that. You know, mm-hmm. they're looking at their workers, too, and their vulnerability. Now, I think they're addressing the Tyson issue, but you haven't had that. I think it's like less than 5% of all the deaths of the state are in nursing homes. So they've been, if you're careful, this doesn't have to happen. And New York was not careful, and Pennsylvania was even less careful. Yeah, I think it shows you the wisdom of those states that recognized right up front that there was there were certain vulnerable populations and worked to protect those populations. Right. Uh, whereas o- others did not do that, and now they're reaping the, uh, the rewards. We don't say rewards, but they're re- reaping what they yeah. sowed. And, um, and that, that's, that's too bad for the people involved. One death is too many, but the way they've handled this in some cases, and not to get you off the topic here a little bit, but I think uh, maybe this uh, has um, uh, dusted up Como's star, uh, that maybe he might have been counting on uh, for a replacement for Joe Biden, as a lot of Democrats mm-hmm. were talking about. Well, that's what I would imagine. People in my own family saying, "Well, wasn't Governor Cuomo impressive in those early days? He's so impressive." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh no, he's not impressive. There's nothing impressive about him." Um, but you're right. I think this might have hurt him if people know about it, unless you read the New York Post. You don't really find out much, <laughs> and I know right. most of your listeners don't read the New York Post or read the American Spectator that I write for. But if you don't read those sites, um, we have data that are useful data, but they don't seem to make it into the New York Times or the Washington Post. Right, and and uh, I write for the Wander, and a lot of people don't read that right. either. Uh, but you know, right. there's been information about that in the Wanderer too, yeah. and at least in my columns. Uh, but I, I, I had praised uh, Como um, a few months ago that I thought he was doing a good job. <laughs> but it was. Today, I did too. <laughs> You're, it was, was impressive in the beginning. Yeah, it was. It was uh, all a, um, a facade, I guess. Anyway, uh, I'm looking at the clock here, and we're going to have to leave it about. Now, because we're we're out of time, we appreciate you coming and the talking about oh, this. We've you. always enjoyed oh, having you on, and we'll I'm sure we're going to be having you again one of these days. Oh, we certainly you. appreciate thank it, you. and thank you very much for joining oh, us. And uh, God bless you. you. God bless you.
God bless you. Thank Thanks. you. Dr. Ann Hendershot, who is a professor of sociology at Franciscan University. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Doing what is challenging because it's right. That's Blackbird Investments. In 2013, Blackbird Investments was born from the inspiration of St. Kevin. When it comes to building real estate, they look for creative solutions by forming strategic alliances, creating energy-efficient buildings, and engaging with local craftsmen. At its core, Blackbird Investments believes in giving buildings a new life. BlackbirdInvest.com Blackbird Investments. Doing what is challenging because it's right. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. A few low-pressure areas will be moving across our area for the next few days. Showers and thunderstorms will be possible this afternoon. We'll be in the low 70s. Scattered showers tonight and about 55. little break from the rain tomorrow, mid-70s and mostly sunny. And then the rain will be back on Saturday. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio in Des Moines. And we're joining you again via Skype. Um, Gina is in her location, and I am in my location. And, and we're kind of Skyping this into the studio. So um, we hope we don't get uh, too confused here. Uh, sometimes we I'm very easily confused. But anyway, uh, our next guest is J.D. Flynn, who is the Editor-in-Chief of Catholic News Agency. Uh, J.D., appreciate you joining us this morning. 
thanks so much for having me. I um, I spent a lot of years living in Nebraska, so to be on an Iowa radio station, you know, took a little bit of, uh, I'm taking a little bit of flack from it from my friends in Nebraska, but I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, Big Red. I spent four years yeah. in Nebraska. I went to uh, to Creighton, and uh, oh, so I, I'm familiar with the culture there. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, it's good to talk uh, with you. Pope Benedict has an upcoming book, uh, and in it he talks about something called the anti-Christian creed in our modern culture, as well as something he refers to as social excommunication. We don't have the book right now because I understand that the English version won't be available until sometime this fall, but um, uh, you've got a preview of it somehow, so can you tell us what he is talking about with this anti-Christian creed and social excommunication? Yeah, so the book that's coming out is, is, a, is a multi-volume biography of, um, of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI by Peter Seawald, who is um, a, a writer who has done a lot of projects with Benedict XVI, a lot of interview projects with Benedict XVI in the past. And, um, and, and one of the ideas that emerges in the book, um, which I've been able to review, is this idea of an anti-Christian creed and, um, and, and social excommunication. And these are really themes that build on uh, a theme that Benedict began at the conclave, you know, at the homily which began the conclave at which he was elected pope. Uh, namely the, the idea of the dictatorship of relativism. You probably remember during his pontificate, he talked a lot about the idea of a dictatorship of relativism, a way in which uh, relativistic moral thinking or relativistic ethical thinking, the idea that there's not one you know one truth but, but many truths can kind of become the predominant social motif and that all of us are obliged to accept, you know, feel certain social pressures or cultural pressures to accept those ideas. And what Benedict says in the book is that the dictatorship of relativism in a certain way has evolved, such that um, it's not just that we have to accept that there's only one, you know, that, that, that there are many truths and that one particular idea, one set of ideas can't, can't claim sort of um, uh, uh, the, to, to corner the market on the truth, but that um, instead uh, modern cultures, he says, are, are becoming very sort of totalitarian about the truth, They're very exacting about the truth, but a truth that is anti-Christian at its core, and that those who hold Christian principles um, are, are sort of shunned from society, even for holding very basic Christian ideas about marriage or the dignity of human life or, or the dignity of human, the human person. And so he says we're seeing this aggressive sort of development from the idea that there, was, that there are many truths and they're all equal to the idea that there are certain social truths to which we must all ascend, sort of the modern ethos of, the, of, of homosexuality and, and, and abortion and other issues. And we see that in our, uh, our current culture in the United States today. Um, if you are opposed to same-sex marriage, uh, obviously you're, you're some type of bigot, you know, you hate people, and uh, you're not entitled to... Uh, uh, even earn a living in some places. Uh, I remember the uh, uh, Proposition 8 uh, uh, situation in California where people who signed um, to have that ballot initiative, which was to protect traditional marriage, were hounded, some of them out of jobs. Uh, their businesses were were blackballed and uh, and. and People really went after those people, and a lot of people got hurt. A lot of people did lose their jobs and lost their businesses because they signed a petition uh, simply stating that they believed that uh, uh, 
uh, traditional marriage, one man, one woman, should be preserved in the state. That's right. Or you can think about, you know, um, cake bakers or wedding photographers or other people oh, who, have faced, who have faced a loss of their livelihood because they, they choose not to, um, you know, to put their, their service at the service of, uh, of weddings, homosexual weddings with which they don't agree. Or you can think about Canadian dioceses, which have begun to lose um, a massive amounts of funding because they want to send to um, certain principles about homosexuality or and, and abortion, especially that the government requires them to assent to. So you can see in which ways in which the church is, the church and believers are sort of being just pushed out of um, the, the mainstream because this expectation of assenting to sort of modern creed on these issues, and that's exactly what Benedict was talking about in the book. And it also. Um is bleeding over into the churches. Many Christian leaders um, have become indoctrinated by defining Christian love as accepting these kinds of anti-Christian behaviors um, as sinful in most cases. Uh, and, and the congregation then becomes a little more just... Uh, um, they become... Um, indoctrinated into the disorder and the anti-natural um, beliefs uh, that that this propagates. That's right. I think I think that's very true, and you can see sort of the way in which that that idea that idea that ideology begins to infect more and more Christian denominations, and and even sometimes in our own minds, we have to sort of go back and think, okay, what do I really believe? What does the church really teach? And and that's why Benedict gives not just the diagnosis of the problem. But um, appoint us to the solution because he says, as we see this um, development of what he calls an anti-Christian creed that we're expected to assent to, he says the only way that we can um, overcome this is prayer. And we have to. Uh, he says that the entire church needs to be resisting this this sort of force, this this force moving towards us. And the only way we can do that is through prayer, which unifies us as um, uh, as a church to the Lord and helps us to stay stronger in what we know to be true, and then helps us all to be clear in our own minds, too, about what's true and what isn't true. And then the power of prayer, of course, to, you know, actually overcome by grace um, these kinds of things and to sow the seeds of conversion. So the good thing about Benedict is always he, he, he's great at diagnosing the problem, but he doesn't stop there, um, because he says prayer is the thing. And then he says, too, um, when we're on the outside of society, when we're sort of pushed outside of the mainstream because of what we believe, well, then, um, although we suffer for that, it can also be um, easier to see what the real um, cost of discipleship is, the real um, challenge of Christian discipleship is, but also the joy in, in the life of um, the missionary life of a Christian. So he says, um, this, is, uh, this is bad. He, he, he says, for sure, this is bad, but he says there are ways in which this can be fruitful for us as believers and fruitful for us as the Church. Well, in a way, we all become... Um martyrs in a way, especially white martyrs, uh, those people who lose um, economic um, advantage because of their beliefs, like the people we're talking about before, the bakers, the photographers, and that, uh, for standing up for their beliefs. That's right. You know, the word martyr is, is a Greek word that means witness. And so um, we think of the martyrs as those who are killed for the faith. But all of us who are put in a position of, of meeting especially to witness to the faith because of the hardship that we endure, are called precisely to, to, to that martyrdom. And in that martyrdom, we can be joined to Christ on the cross, who's the witness of the, of, of the Christian life most dramatically and most poignantly. So I understand that this book is um, almost 1,200 pages uh, in, in its volume. And I 
understand in 93 years, you can have quite a long and historic uh, life that you can buy, make into a biography. Uh, in his 93 years, I'm sure he has some words that help us to not be discouraged by this situation. Yeah, um, yeah, he... Um I think that's right. There's a lot of, for me, in, in reviewing the book and going through it, I haven't read the whole thing, but I, I started reading it and, and going through it, um, there is a lot that is encouraging there. Um, and one of the things is he goes back a lot to the messages of hope in his own general audiences, and um, and especially um, the idea that um, in, the, in the Church, as we live the sacramental life of the Church, we can always see, um, if we are self-reflective, we can see the power of God's goodness in the transformation of our own lives. So he keeps coming back to the idea that even if we don't feel like we can see where God is in the world, if we're struggling with that as we look at these things like social excommunication and anti-Christian creed and the secularization of culture, because we can be assured of God's goodness as we look at the transformation that God gives us in our own hearts through the sacramental life, and uh, and especially the joy that, that comes through that. One of the things that Benedict emphasizes again and again in the book is the joy of the Christian life especially the joy of, of closeness to the sacraments. And so he says, you know, um, we know in the sacraments, if we reflect on the way in which God is changing us, we can see the way in which God is loving us, and that can fill us with joy. So it's really, I mean, that, and that's so much of what Benedict XVI's whole message of, of really uh, his his own pontificate and his work before that was about, was about the the uh, the joy and the freedom that comes from living a Christian life. And, and this book, I think, continues on with those themes and, and sort of tries to witness to them in, in recounting um, his, his own life. Uh, just a, a, a quick note. Um, we have a prayer that um, Benedict uh, wrote that Gina opens up every program with. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of fans of his. Yeah. He's an incredibly wise all, man uh, and wonderful shepherd, a leader of all of us. Yeah, to be sure. I mean, I think we've been blessed now with... Um, with, with three in, in you know recent decades, three very different, but three um, uh, popes that, from which we, you know, from whom we can learn and from whom we can be inspired in the Christian life in very different ways. And Benedict, right in the middle of that, between Pope Saint John Paul II and Pope Francis, I think has been influential for a lot of us, to be sure. I think John Paul and uh, and Benedict were the intellectual uh, end of that scale. They seem to be very intellectual in their writing and in uh, their teaching. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think I think that's right. And Pope Francis, of course, um, so often spoken of, a, of the power of his witness. And I think during this coronavirus pandemic, we've seen that, you know, so many of these dramatic things that Pope Francis has done, his walking pilgrimage through the streets of Rome, or the striking mm-hmm. power of, of the Urbi Orbi blessing, you know, in the empty St. Peter's Square, we've seen, you know... Uh, that a was a powerful visual. Yeah, it was. It was. It was incredible, but especially the rain. I mean, <laughs> you kind of you kind of wonder how they planned the rain so so well because it, it added to the the drama of the whole thing. Um, but it was beautiful, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So that book will be available sometime this fall. Is 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 yeah, that the, my the understanding? Of the book, which is which is entitled um, just simply Benedict the Sixteenth of Biography. Um, the first volume of it will come out November the seventeenth. And, uh, and then I think the plan, I, I'm not 100% certain, but I think the plan is to release a volume uh, each year for the next two successive years after that. Okay. 
Beautiful. Yeah, that, that, that's good. That's good. Well, JB, we want to thank you for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your input here. And uh, we got you close to Nebraska anyway. That's right. That's right. And uh, thanks so much for having me. And God bless you guys. It's good talking with you. Certainly. God bless you, too. J.D. Flynn, Editor-in-Chief of the Catholic News Agency. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Doing what is challenging because it's right. That's Blackbird Investments. In 2013, Blackbird Investments was born from the inspiration of St. Kevin. When it comes to building real estate, they look for creative solutions by forming strategic alliances, creating energy-efficient buildings, and engaging with local craftsmen. At its core, Blackbird Investments believes in giving buildings a new life. BlackbirdInvest.com Blackbird Investments. Doing what is challenging because it's right. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. And this is Faith on Trial, Iowa Catholic Radio in Des Moines. Uh, Gina, we had an interesting program today, and we had an interesting morning. Uh, that was very interesting to see so contemporary with our story about uh, Governor Cuomo from New York and the nursing home um, 
situation with the COVID deaths in a high number of them in the nursing homes, I couldn't help through that um, talk with uh, Dr. Ann Hendershot um, believe that these situations really are able to help us understand how our leaders value the human life, you know, you know, whether it's infants, unborn babies, uh, individuals in nursing homes, what is the value? Do, does, does our, do our leaders uh, value one segment of society more than another? Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, Como has kind of a checkered past in that. And what was interesting is that when it looked like New York was succeeding in controlling the coronavirus, uh, he made the statement that it wasn't God that did it, it was us that did it. Oh, uh, which, uh, remember that? Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, I was, so I he's. Uh, when I heard that. Yeah, I think he has, uh, if, if he's had any ambition, you know, because there's a lot of talk right now about uh, uh, buyer's remorse with Joe Biden, that a lot of Democrats are thinking that he's just not the guy they want to head the ticket. They're looking, maybe looking for somebody else. Como seemed to be the one that was sitting right there, kind of ready to go if, if uh, you know, they could, they could manage a switch. But I think he has kind of shot himself in the foot with a couple of these things here that uh, will not sit well with people. But it depends, I suppose, on how much they pay attention to what's going on. But I think he has, uh, there's been a couple of clinkers in his background recently that I think will not only hurt him now, but it may hurt him in the future. Uh, especially that comment about God didn't do this, we did. Um, and, and there's the guy who, you know, opened up really um, almost after birth abortion, you know, the bill that, uh, that he was so happy to sign into law. Right. So it, uh, it was very interesting to, to get her perspective and then to have her um, expand upon that and um, show us some of the research that she's done that shows that other states have had the same issues. I was glad to hear that she was um, supportive of the way our state here in Iowa and our governor has um, uh, been able to uh, help the nursing homes sustain themselves and not blow up in the manner that they have in other states. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think uh, Kim Reynolds has done an excellent job. I may be a little bit biased. You know, she was one of my students at one time. But I think she's done an excellent job uh, in handling this situation. And it's a tough, tough situation to be in, you know. And you can see that in the uh, uh, in the debate today. Do we open? Do we not open? You know, uh, if we open too soon, are we going to have more deaths? If we don't open soon enough, you know, we're going to have people going out of business. Um, I am happy, though, that she did decide to open barbershops. <laughs> Just a, a personal thing. Uh, I can get rid of my man bun now, <laughs> you know, uh, get get trimmed up and look nice and, and not have to uh, go shaggy anymore. But that <laughs> that was the worst part for me was no barber. Well, honestly, this has been an experience in, um, and continues to be an experience in good leadership versus mm -hmm. inadequate leadership. You know, sometimes we elect our leaders based on popularity rather than true, strong leadership. And um, I think it's taught us all a lesson about what to look for in um, our elected officials, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody makes prudent decisions. Unlike some places, we have seen them just shut everything down. And, uh, and of course, you, you see what's happening in those areas. They are uh, uh, facing an onslaught of protests. 
and uh, that will probably continue uh, for a while. And then I thought um, uh, J.D. Flynn's analysis of what uh, Pope Benedict wrote was very good, and we've seen that, but we've maybe sometimes seen it from a more secular position of how this anti-Christian creed is running through the country anymore, running through society. And we see that, you know, we follow, you and I follow politics quite a bit, because that's part of what we do, mm-hmm. and of course it's, it's part of the the field that we have to play on here, and we've seen that anti-Christian creed come out, and I think one of the problems that we face today is there are so many people out there that just cannot, in their heart and in their head, understand why somebody may have a religious problem with doing something. They have a religious problem with abortion. They have a religious problem with same-sex marriage, so they don't want to take part in that type of a ceremony. They have a problem with this transgenderism that's going on. Uh, people are conditioned to see that uh, as an issue of, uh, of a, some type of right that these people have. Women have to kill their baby. Uh, same-sex sex couples have to, uh, to marry. Um, uh, a, a, a person has to want to change their sex if if that's really possible uh and they're so they are embracing so much this uh me 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 culture that we have the right to do this that they <clears throat> and they also uh, then want us to go along not just to to tolerate it but to accept it and like you pointed out in the interview we have these photographers and bakers and things like that that they don't want to participate it's not that they hate these people they just don't want to participate in their same-sex ceremony or whatever it is and uh, as a result uh, they're then classified as bigots and haters and um, and it's a lack of understanding you see that a little bit with the opening of the uh, after the coronavirus, there's been a lot, if you've watched the stuff on the internet, about how these people that are protesting that want governors and mayors to open up their cities a little bit more, how selfish they must be uh, because it's going to cause more deaths. They don't understand that these people are dying at home. They can't get medical services for because it's not an emergency, so they can't get their, their hips replaced. They can't get their chemotherapy. They can't get a lot of things. They're losing their businesses. They're losing their jobs. They don't quite – there's no empathy anymore with somebody on the other side, and I think, I think that's a sad commentary uh, on our society today. Well, and I think Benedict understands true uh, love and compassion and the bigger picture and the consequences of accepting um, behaviors that are um, disordered and and the consequences to society and to the individual. And like I said, he's 93 years old. He amazes me that he continues to be um, in, involved in, in our journey as Christians uh, in, very, in a very loving way. And I'm I'm really glad to hear that he's um, taken on this project and allowed a biography to be written about yeah. so well, much of his life. I, I, for one, miss him. I, for one, miss him. But anyway, that's, uh, that's about all the time that we have for today. do want to uh, send a shout-out to Paul and Paul at Imaging Ingredients for helping sponsor our program. And certainly today, Catlin Murphy, uh, who helped us arrange some guests at the last minute when 
things were falling through on us. We actually, about 10 minutes before the program, had no guests <laughs> because of one thing or another. But we got to put together, and Catlin was a big help in doing that. So let's close uh, with our uh, prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits that roam about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. That's it for this week. Join us next week. We have two guests that I think are going to be very interesting. Uh, we have uh, Mike Gonzalez of the Heritage Foundation is going to talk about kind of this left-wing school history program called the 1619 Project. And then Christopher Farrar, who is the special counsel for the Thomas More Society, is going to join us on a lawsuit that he's filed against New Jersey for cops who have been disrupting religious services. So those will be two interesting guests, uh, and I hope we have two interesting guests next week. We don't go through some of the gyrations we had to this morning, but uh, anyway... Uh, thank you for listening, for Gene and myself. Uh, we certainly appreciate that. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will see you next Thursday. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.